Hi, welcome back to the Comic Syllabus Podcast. This is Paul. I'm your host, and today we're going to talk about um, a little. We're going to talk a little peanuts. Um, we're going to talk about the third person a little bit. Uh, maybe preview a couple of books and and also talk about some books I'm not talking about and why. Um, so, thank you so much for joining us. Um, forgive me for those who. <laughs> might hear a little bit of an unusual speech cadence today. Um, I'm not feeling great, and my tongue is swollen. <laughs> Sometimes this happens with allergies. Um, did, did do a COVID test recently, and uh, rates are definitely spiking around where I'm at here in California, in the Bay Area, but um, I think it's probably allergies. Um, we'll see. Um, feeling okay otherwise, but, uh, the swollen tongue doesn't, <laughs> isn't very amenable to, uh, talking fast. So forgive me for that. Um, but it's probably, probably appropriate to slow things down. Uh, usually no matter what is going on in the world, I find, um, time to read, um, to read comics, to read other non-comics things. Um, I find it's hard to to not do that in my life and to be able to rest my head or to be able to um, stay connected. Um, it's been, that that has been um, challenged at times in, in, in the past two weeks since the last episode. Um, it has been challenged even more um, because um, first, the violence and the killing of of um, of ten in Buffalo, um, shooting in South in Southern California in the Taiwanese church, um, and then of course um, all of our our breath taken away collectively by um, the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, uh, on Tuesday. Um, it's been really hard for me to. Uh, I guess to face my job every day, uh, teaching young people who this year have dealt with so much, uh, in a sense, coming out of and then wanting to be lifted from uh, this pandemic crisis, and in our curriculum, <laughs> wanting to, uh, you know, we want, we've wanted to you know, really kind of focus our collective energy and attention on the climate crisis. Um, but meanwhile, pandemic, not over. Racial injustice, not over. For many of them, the ongoing trauma of um, poverty and displacement, not over. And then, um, and then of course, you know, uh, the, the kinds of violence that they find out in their news and and to feel a sense that their schools are, may not be safe, their siblings' schools may not be safe. Um, and, you know, we try to give them pr some perspective, <laughs> try to, you know, sort of what, what the Association of School Psychologists urges us as educators and parents to assure them, especially younger children, that, you know, um, thing, these things are true, they happen. And yet, um, you know, you can feel safe. Um, you can, we can never be 100% sure. Um, but people are here to take care of you. 
we try to do our best to have safety plans, you know, to talk about those things and then to live in a society where we continue to allow, um, you know, an 18 year old um, to buy assault rifles. Uh, you know, to we still have policy that make it perfectly legal to obtain that kind of weaponry and no moral courage um, in our Senate to make even the most common sense and majority uh, supported background checks, you know, a factor, uh, let alone the kinds of action that we really need to take. Um, the same cowards spewing all this blame on you know mental health or you know the absence of religion in schools as the cause for these things you know are the same who um, are cutting the kinds of uh, public welfare and mental health services um, not to mention privatizing education and uh, making it really clear that uh, priorities shall always be with money over children. And, you know, having to talk to our kids, create space for them to, to um, deal with their feelings, the fears, the anxieties that we may even carry in a kind of low, um, you know, kind of a, a, a low volume, continual presence of drone in our lives. Um, it's just become so normal for them to encounter so much, you know, so much trauma and violence. Um, and then in some ways, for, for me to try to create those spaces for, um, you know, expressing where we are, um, and knowing that visiting this kind of um, I, this kind of reality with my students, many of whom have experienced fleeing, you know, their homes in in Central America or South America because of violence, um, and then a a, um, a a risky and really a difficult um, journey for many of them to arrive here in the United States, um, a journey that they went through as children, and then to hear about things happening here in the United States to children, um, many of them with the same first names or the same last names that my students have. Yeah, this is the, the, the dislocation the um it's hard and it's been a phenomenally hard year an extraordinarily hard year for me as an educator and for us in schools you know at the same time we're dealing with this um spike in cases despite our highly vaccinated uh community um where uh you know there's there's been masking you know masking is now voluntary in our classrooms and still 95 percent of kids are masking 95 percent of the time when we're indoors um 
and yet, uh, you know, we still have had shortages of teachers and substitutes when they're when a bunch of them are out. So much so that class for some kids has to be going to the cafeteria where you know an administrator and a and the one sub that's available are watching over four classes or five classes of kids. Um, it's been brutal. Uh, Ukraine fears for me about Taiwan. You know, it's a lot. Uh, and so I've been shorter on patience, I think, for watching Star Wars or reading yet another Harley Quinn comic that's about mass violence or something. You just can't. Uh, I, even though I think my, many of my favorite creators and favorite comics, even when they employ violence, are, are, are questioning violence, um, many of them are dealing with actually a kind of anger at injustice that I think is important is the kind of anger that compels you to act and not to stand by or stand still. Um, the kind of anger at injustice that makes you get up and intervene in some way. Hopefully takes us out to the streets um, hopefully makes us confront the comfortable who um, continue to profit off the blood of our children. But I think um, there's another way where sometimes the exploitation of that violence continually in our media and culture, and I am not one to, you know, to, um, what was the genius statement about the, you know, this kid is found to be playing video games. Um, who you know this this kid who kid committed this atrocious act as if there are any eighteen year olds in this country who are who don't play video games. <laughs> um, but but you know the scapegoat of media violence being why we are a violent society is is um, totally baseless when you contrast so many other, uh, you know, OECD nations with similarly violent media, and sometimes even more so, um, but not similar rates of mass killings because they don't have the same ridiculous outlier numbers of guns and availability of these weapons of of massacre so yeah so I think in spite of knowing that it's just been hard for me to consume the usual comic books um, I still have my pile ever-growing of recent comic books that I've gotten and still excited to read Nightwing um, kind of fun to see the Eisner nominations come out and to see so many things that I enjoyed or I, I'm, I'm getting ready to enjoy um, but, uh, you know, I picked up a book that I knew that I would be really interested in, for instance. Um, I read the first issue of Duo, which is from DC Milestone. Um, it's actually the return of a character named Zombie, X-O-M-B-I, um, originally by, created by Dennis Cowan and Reginald Hudlin. And 
and uh, John Rosam, who wrote um, the character, um, Asian-American character, who, uh, yeah, X-O-M-B-I zombie. There's some uh, Living Dead type stuff in it. Uh, it was part of the original Milestone run, and then, you know, later revived as, a, I think, a Vertigo title. Um, pretty cool book, the DC3 cast folks that podcast at multiversitycomics.com where this lives took a look at that first issue of duo and um i agree with their takes by greg greg pack and koi fam and uh, scott hannah and chris sotomayor um and i liked it enough for the first issue and uh i read it and then uh thought oh good you know like more milestone <laughs> that's comics i'm excited about um, and then moved on to the next thing in my pile, and, 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 and I just felt sick to my stomach, and I just really couldn't continue to read that stuff. <sighs> so that's where I'm at. Um, and, uh, and to be honest, I'm not sure when or if I return to a place where I can uh, kind of have the same diet, and, and maybe I, I, never, I never should. Uh, maybe I never will be able to. <laughs> Of, of so much comics that I, that as I look for, I do look for and believe in um, their cultural impact and the, the, the possibilities of what they can explore. Um, I think I'll talk about, about that a little bit today, even with what I, what I do talk about. But I just, I don't know, I, I, I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm 41. And I find that as I get older, it's, I don't become more sophisticated in what I can stomach. I drive slower. <laughs> I get woozier when I'm in, in high places, and I'm scared. And and my fear of heights has only increased. And you know, it's not that I didn't have those things in the past. It's that now I look over to my left and my right, and there are children, and I and I just I can't the same way. You know. I've been thinking lately a lot about my anger and just anger in general. Um, last few weeks, I talked a little bit about Moon Knight, the show and the comic, uh, especially the run by Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood and a bunch of other artists. And, I, and I, last week, I talked a little bit about what I, I posed the question, which I, I've, I answered before for myself, but I, I think I need to write an article or something about it because I don't know that I... Uh, it's like it's like it's like a slippery answer. It's like I, I I figure out why, and then it slips away, which is just the question of why we're so interested in these stories about alternate versions of these characters that we've known so long. Why is the uh, the multiverse so interesting for us? Why everything everywhere all at once? Which I haven't seen yet. Don't spoil it for me, please. Can't wait to see it. Um, why Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? Why Elseworlds? You know, why? Why what if? And I I have been kind of occasionally touching back on that question when I think about this idea of seeing alternate versions of ourselves who may exist in a similar world, but who have somehow have conditions different from our own, which may reveal for us the range of potentials within us to different choices or different becomings, you know, different manifestations. And how, you know, these these stories about traversing universe or alternates or whatever really 
allows us to have allows us to see characters in dialogue with themselves and um not major spoilers here but you know that's a lot of what dr strange ends up becoming is a dr strange with it talking to a dr strange and a a a wanda talking to a wanda you know there's there's a, there's a kind of dialogue within the self or maybe not dialogue sometimes just even outright battle between selves that are solo existence within our one universe <laughs> those of us who don't traverse the multiverse um you know it's impossible or or difficult you know everyone that we talk to in this world is not us ourselves but the notion of being able to talk to a self is um gets explored by so many of our stories and I was talking about Moon Knight because um you know the dissociative identity disorder that gets kind of uh, used exploited explored whatever however you want to think about it in Moon Knight you know Stephen Grant and Mark Spector and you know potentially others are 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 kind of within a, a, a opposed within a dialogue in the show and in the Lemire and Smallwood run of the comics. And that brings us to the first book I, I, I think I want to talk about, which is um, from John and Quarterly, recently uh, a book called The Third Person by Emma Grove. Emma Grove is a trans woman uh, artist who um, has worked in animation a ton and uh, and I mentioned this book a little bit last episode, and I, I really um, dug deep into it and sort of read and reread a lot of parts. And I, I really enjoy this book. I really think it's pretty uh, profound and impactful. And it's basically uh, about, um, it's autobiographical, you know, names change, etc. But essentially, Emma Grove's um, story and experience in um, therapy, which she pursued because she wished to um, get um, sort of, I think it's, you know, psychiatric uh, uh, sign-off approval to undergo hormone treatment. And um, the therapist that she goes to see, who um, is themselves, I believe, trans and has also done this for many uh, uh, you know, patients, clients, whatever, um, it, it f- finds or encounters or discovers or meets up with this, um, the sort of dissociative, um, aspects of Emma Grove, the creator's life, um, and sort of meets Katina, who turns out to be a kind of alter, um, and Ed <laughs> and, um, and Emma, and it's a it's a very long book in terms of page count um, because it's drawn with very stark simplicity. Most of the scenes, there are some scenes that take place elsewhere, but most of the scenes just take place in this therapist's office in the back and forth between um, the therapist Toby and Ed or the therapist Toby and Katina or the therapist Toby and Emma, these various alters um, within what, you know, they discover is, is, um, the main character, the Emma Grove characters, um, dissociative identity, identities. Um, and the book, uh, kind of really 
kind of really unpacks and explores what that is. And there's a kind of process of, I don't know if this is an appropriate term, but self-discovery because the alters who are in kind of an active ongoing conversation with themselves, but when one is, is when Katina is, um, let me say is, is, is active, uh, uh, Ed, let's say, for example, doesn't remember what happened. And, uh, and there's a whole incident involving like leaving a book behind or, or, or losing track of a book in Toby's office that kind of sets off the entire thing, you know, and it seems like one doesn't remember what the other has done um, among these altars. And kind of really importantly, throughout the book, Toby is, is very skeptical, um, abrasive, sometimes um, downright, I don't know, the, abusive as a therapist, because um, Toby doesn't believe in, you know, thinks that uh, this, this patient, this client is trying to put, put one over and, uh, you know, get away with something or something. And yet Toby continues to withhold approval for these hormone treatments. Um, and so parts of the story are just, you know, it's, it's, you know, the art is such that it's very um, easy to, to imagine the situation. And it's really heartrending to, to see the kind of painful um, and really um, just <laughs> irresponsible way that this therapist reacts to and treats Emma, you know, and, and, and deepens the trauma of what Emma is going gone through is going through, and of course, uh, ultimately, you know, to to not to give away any specifics, and and I do plan to review this book for um, at, at Multiversity Comics, so you can look for a written review in more detail later. But he, essentially, um, eventually, Emma is able to unpack a lot of the trauma that um, occurred as a child that really initiated the um, dissociative identity disorder and the dissociation and all that kind of reaction that would make, you know, um, these, these cells within, <laughs> within someone um, begin to protectively um, exist and, 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 you know, become this way to cope with the situation that causes the dissociation. And so I talked about this now a couple of episodes, um, and, and I, I'll, but I'll say it again that the, it's just a super interesting story, but it's also just really interesting in thinking about the ways that um, dissociative identity stories, whether they are ones that are sort of grounded in autobiography and in reality, or whether they are um, fictionalized um, they can, I don't think they always do, but they can in a, in a way that is, I think, to me, sensitive and responsible. I'm not an ins insider or an expert, so I could be wrong about that, but they can with potential, um, you know, uh, get into the notion of, of sort of the self in a dialogue with another part of the self um, or just another part and, and using the term part brings me back again to um, just some of my, my own work with a therapist thinking about internal family systems. I won't kind of re-explain that, but it's just allowing parts of yourself. And for me, the part 
that often arises is the part that that um, becomes angry, you know, um, becomes angry, uh, you know, when I feel like some other part of me has been victimized or taken for take, taken for for granted or taken advantage of. And for me, a lot of my work has been like thinking back to being an immigrant kid and, you know, some experiences with my family, but mostly experiences of, of just being harassed or belittled or, or taunted, um, because I, mostly because I was an immigrant, um, Chinese kid, you know, funny clothes and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and knowing that those experiences, um, uh, you know, created a kind of vulnerability in me that another part of me wanted to become very strong to protect and that part of me that wanted to be very strong to protect is a part that can become overzealous in that even though what's at the root of it is a protectiveness and so if you saw moon Knight, then you know where that plays into those those altars within moon Knight's character and if you read the third person you will think about the ways that Katina appears as a kind of protective mechanism. And so even though um, there may be a part that rises in a kind of anger, it's often an anger that emerges from, emerges from a kind of, a, a, you know, a protective desire to take care of the vulnerable, the, the victim within the self. Um, and to, to give away a line, if you don't want any, uh, multiverse of madness, spoilers, skip ahead, you know, 15 seconds here. But when, when, when at the end, towards the end, Wanda says to the Scarlet Witch, you know, the, the, about, about the kids know that they'll be loved. Right. Often in these stories, the confrontation with the angry part is a question of, you know, uh, uh, I know that you were created or you exist now as a manifestation of protectiveness, but can you let go? Actually, you can let go. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. You don't have to enact this kind of violence. And I think about, you know, I've never... Um, been in a situation of, of, you know, of, uh, of getting close to the edge of violence. Um, but I, uh, of, I mean, I mean, I think, I mean, real serious violence, I've wanted to fight, of course, and shoved back and things like that. But I think about um, people who do commit acts of violence. And, and, and I can't imagine the kind of grotesque violence that we're thinking about in Texas with, um, you know, deranged folks who, who um, go on a, a killing spree. But, it, but I, I think when I think about retaliative violence or when I just think about snapping, I mean, I, there's part of me that knows that there but for the grace of God go I, you know, as they say, um, in 12-step circles, um, that I am made of the same human stuff that has the potential and the capacity, and, and, and not because um, I, I can morally justify any of it, but because I know that when a protectiveness arises in us for ourselves, when we feel ourselves 
vulnerable, then a part can rise up and say, no, you know, and, and an anger and a rage can burn. And sometimes I think that, um, you know, this is, this is no justification, but I, I think what we know to do with anger, including the anger that we may feel when we um, read accounts about, you know, parents who lost their children or kids who had to witness the un, unthinkable, or even our, our children who have to witness on the news or in, the, in, in, in chatter form, these horrific crimes, there is an anger that emerges in us. And there's something we have to do with that. I was recently reading a book, a um, very powerful one called This Here Flesh by a spiritual writer named Cole Arthur Riley, um, a black woman, descendant of slaves. And she writes, she quotes James Baldwin, um, who, who writes, People who shut their eyes to reality simply invite their own destruction. And anyone who insists on remaining in a state of innocence long after that innocence is dead turns himself into a monster. Um, Arthur Riley herself writes, I'm not convinced we can tell the truth, alienated from the truth of our emotion. They are necessary company. Sometimes, however threatening it may be, it is seeing the face of anger that can finally shake a people out of their numbness, out of their inner death. Um, and, and, I, and I think that there is a way where anger unmet becomes a numbness that can, you know, that we can use to kind of tear ourselves apart. Sometimes it becomes something that we use to tear others apart. And then, so stories like, um, like the third person, or even, God help me, Moon Knight, or Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, open a possibility where you might say to your angry self, I know you're very angry, and I wonder if you know what your anger is doing. Can you let go? You, you can let go. You know, you, you don't have to do this. And to treat that angry part with a kind of compassion is something that's really hard for me to do with myself, you know? Thinking about um, times when I've snapped at my, you know, my own, my own kid and uh, made her feel, you know, made her, made her feel pain. Um, or times when I've done that with my partner or in other contexts um, amidst my weakness. But I, I think it is our difficulty, and maybe it's something unique to Western society or, or Americans, or whatever, our inability to see our own anger with both sobriety and humility, um, with both acceptance and compassion um, and with, you know, the, the truth to fathom, uh, you know, how, how needful we all are. It's, it's, um, it's the source of a lot of the toxicity in our world. And I wonder that stories can't help us to do 
what seems so hard for us um, to not remain in a state of innocence, to not shut our eyes to reality, um, to be with the necessary company of our emotions, to shake us out of our numbness, um, to find acceptance, to be able to be compassionate toward ourselves uh, in order to be compassionate toward others. Uh, I do highly recommend The Third Person by Emma Grove. And I also recommend another part of this experience for me, which is that, um, you know, as I've been uh, thinking about all these very heavy subjects <laughs> on this very heavy episode <laughs> of the comic syllabus, I've also been, um, you know, not not much time to read or not much time and, and ability to read by myself. I have to admit also the NBA playoffs and my, and my Golden State Warriors making it all the way to the finals this journey has also preoccupied much of my distracted my distraction time uh and a lot of the wearing um busyness of work as we veer toward the end of the school year here for me um have also kept me really busy and kept me from reading but but i cannot not spend time with my daughter and lately um i discovered i think i mentioned this in the last episode a podcast called Unpacking Peanuts. And I want to recommend this podcast to you. Um, uh, <laughs> it's not part of the multiversitycomics.com network of podcasts, but it's a good one. Um, and it is about peanuts, about um, Charles Schultz's comic strip and the hosts, the three hosts, which I'm going to the website now so I can pull up uh, their bio, their bios <laughs> so I can get all the credits right. But um, the three hosts uh, are basically going through the entire 50-year run of Peanuts year by year and um, talking about each year of the book, uh, sorry, each year of the strip. Um, and I, as you <laughs> fans of this podcast know, have, did I just say that, fans of this podcast? <laughs> you friends know I'm a Peanuts nut. And we do have the complete peanuts from Fanographics start to finish, uh, including some other editions and some of those Sundays because the color is great and a ton of peanuts books and paraphernalia around this house, right? So um, huge peanuts fan. Um, and one of the things that I have, which I had to go dig up because of the Unpacking Peanuts co uh, podcast, which is hosted by Michael Cohen, the co-artist and writer of Strange Attractors, and also the editor and publisher of Mythography, and also creator of Tangled River and Gathering of Spells, and also a composer who composes the music for the podcast, and Harold Buchholz, who, um, who does uh, a humor strip called Sweetest Beasts on Instagram, and executive producer and writer on the uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Netflix and so on, and formerly senior vice president of Archie Comics. And then Jimmy Gownley, who is the uh, cartoonist of Amelia Rules and The Dumbest Idea Ever and Seven Re Good Reasons Not to Grow Up. Okay, those are the three hosts. Pretty fun crew. Just going through all of Peanuts. Um, it's also produced by Liz Sumner. Um, so, who <laughs> is uh, married to... Michael Cohen. Um, it's a it's a super fun podcast, and they're walking through peanuts, and they're in the 50s when it starts. 
And some of the strips that they're talking about reminded me of the fact that I am fortunate enough to own the Peanuts Artist Edition from IDW, which reprints various strips from, oh, I don't know, maybe the first four, five, six years of, of the... Um, of peanuts in their original art and it's not at the size of that art but it's pretty darn enlarged which is great and and it has the uh little notes that charles schultz wrote to whoever he gifted um the, these various strips to and as i've been recollected some of these ones are the strips that the the hosts of unpacking peanuts talk about and to see them in their original schultz um original art with the pasted on you know, patent pending or whatever. No, the pasted on copyright things and the little um, spots where you can see little remainders of the pencil marks and all that kind of stuff is just like, it's almost like a close as you can get to visiting, for me, the Mecca, um, which is the Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa, um, or just being at the Billy Ireland Museum and looking at, at, at you know, the, the original art of the great comics, um, you know, founders. So, so my, I, 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 you know, dusted it off. And since we've been listening to Unpacking Peanuts, you know, of course, um, as we get ready for, for bed, uh, me and my daughter, co-host kid, <laughs> as you hear sometimes, have been reading and rereading a lot of these um, Schultz um, Peanuts Artist Edition strips. And reading those at the same time as all the stuff that I've been talking about in this episode is making me think, Yes, about the innocence of children, but, you know, you're a fool or, or uninformed if you think Peanuts is about the innocence of children. Um, and, and yet it is, right? Because the, the kids are not innocent. They are, <laughs> they are um, mischievous and malicious. And from the very first strip, it's, you know, good old Charlie Brown. What a blockhead. You know, like it's, it's definitely <laughs> all of the continual low-grade, you know, uh, anger and pettiness and uh, jealousy and, 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 you know, self-pity and all of that stuff, uh, unrequited love and uh, vindictiveness and self-superiority and all that stuff, that is, um, that is the human condition. And the fact that Schultz was able to distill that into such simple lines um, and the pathos of these characters is its brilliance. It's why it transcends, you know, gag of the day kinds of humor and, and, and becomes a thing that nestles deep into you. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if it's tri trivializing or trite for me to say that when James Baldwin talks about not shutting your eyes to reality and, and, uh, insisting on remaining of a state of innocence that that any of that is 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 solved or addressed by reading peanuts but maybe <laughs> maybe i, I want to suggest that you know um because as i read it with my daughter i realize that the, the note that we end on after laughing at uh you know the ways that schroeder deflects lucy or the ways that um Charlie Brown is pathetic, or even the very, very rare but um, always true to tone um, moments when there is a tiny triumph or this glorying in the beauty of something. That we've recently read that strip in the 60s. It's often been reprinted where Violet is uh, 
<laughs> is taunting Charlie Brown. Says like, oh, my dad's better than you at this. And my dad has a bigger this than your dad and all this stuff. And Charlie just pauses and says, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But let me tell you something. My dad is a barber and works really hard. Sometimes people are not very nice to him. It's a pretty hard job. But every day, no matter what, um, anytime I come into that barber shop, he'll stop what he's doing, look up at me, and smile. <laughs> and he says, "That's that's who my dad is." And then Violet just says, "Happy Father's Day, Charlie Brown." <laughs> you know, just these like incredible moments of great, great beauty. And it's the humanity. It's the full humanity. It's that. You know, six out of seven days or, or, or 13 out of 14. It's really the misery of life that we, um, that we sort of, uh, you know, sit in with these, these beloved characters um, so that it's all the sweeter when happiness is a warm puppy or, <laughs> you know, the fundamentals of life, the trust and, and goodwill between human beings is continually put to the question. But... In questioning them, you actually, in a, in a way, um, keep them alive as possibilities. That's what Peanuts does. And to read these strips in their original, um, in their original art, with all of the, you know, all the soul and pathos that that um, Charles Schultz puts into them. And I do encourage you to listen to Unpacking Peanuts. They do the funny thing where they try to. They have to try to um, verbally talk through and explain a written, a, a drawn visual medium. But there's actually something really interesting about that act. You know, you can go to the site, you can look up on Go Comics, which we do, to go look at the strips that they're talking about. But actually, in having to try to put into the words the awesome simplicity and potency of Schultz's panels, um, Cohen and Gownley and Buchholz really do weave a kind of... Um, midrash kind of second layer of poetry um to the poetry that's schultz so um and 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 i think reading those strips these weeks with my daughter thinking about those folks in buffalo those folks in uvalde um I guess they, 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 it's not really even something that I put into a kind of logic. It's just, I needed, and I need, you know, not violence, but the kind of um, honest expression of our pettiness and anger and, um, and the night sides of our human condition that can be met with compassion. You know, Lucy is uh, pretty horrible, actually, in so, so many of these strips. But you can't not love Lucy, you know. And um, there's sides of these kids that are just brutal. And yet, they're kids, right? Kids should be um, not allowed to be bullies, but allowed to be kids, and I think that there's parts of ourselves that we have a really hard time forgiving. And because of that, it's really, really hard for us to forgive others. I think we, um, I think we need to find the courage 
to confront each other. I think we need to find the courage to take action. Um, I, I am moved by and agree with the, the anger at the thoughts and prayers reactions, and yet I am a person who thinks and prays and cannot do that and remain unchanged or unmoved. I think it's necessary for us to act, for us to push and hold accountable those who fail to act. Um, and, and, and we need a, a whole and comprehensive um, battle against the violence that, um, that, we, uh, that we explode in our society with the presence of these weapons. I think that at the same time, some of that confrontation that seems so difficult to move forward also really needs to confront whether and how we make spaces for the antagonisms, the animus in our hearts, and what we can do potentially to seek healing for others and ourselves. It's not an either-or. I think they're hand-in-hand. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Not totally sure what the takeaways are here. Um, I think in the next coming weeks, I may talk about um, Tuki. Tuki is the book by Jeff Smith. um, After Bone and after Rassel. Um, (laughs) Rassel. Um, Tuki is a two-volume book now that used to be a webcomic that's been Kickstarter-funded, and I just got the second volume. Volume 1 is called Tuki Fight for Fire. Volume 2 is called Tuki Fight for Family. (laughs) I don't know if you could read this on the web, if it's still available as a webcomic, or I don't know if you have to get it on Kickstarter or if it's now available elsewhere, but... Um, Kickstarter is where and how I got it. So it's Jeff Smith. I mean, gotta love that. Um, I also have recently, fairly recently read a book by a creator named Jose Pimienta called Suncatcher that came out in 2020, I want to say, in May of 2020 from Random House Kids Graphic. And um, Pimienta, who is uh, Mexicali, um, sort of uh, raised and lives in Los Angeles, um, is the creator also of a forthcoming book called Twin Cities, which I'm excited to talk about, um, and hoping that I could have them on the on the podcast too to talk about Twin Cities. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen this book, Suncatcher, it's super cool. It's about um, kind of similar context as they grew up in, um, but a character named Beatriz who uh, who discovers that. Her grandfather's soul is trapped in his guitar. I'll leave it at that. There's a, there's, there's Beatrice right there on the cover rocking out on an electric guitar. It's pretty cool. Suncatcher is the name of that book. So maybe we'll talk about Suncatcher if I haven't had a chance yet to, to set up to hopefully talk with, um, with Jose Pimienta about their forthcoming book, uh, Twin Cities. <laughs> I believe also from Random House, if not mistaken. Um, Check out those books. Um, Tell me what you're reading. Thanks for listening to Comic Syllabus. And take care, you all. Okay.